We'll, we'll uh, get, gather around the Word of God tonight, and, and, and we'll see uh, what the Lord's laid on my heart. I hope you figured out something. No, I'm joking. I, I have a message here, and we're ready to go. So let's take our Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and all stand together as we read from the Word of God, 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'll be reading verses 1 through 12, if you'll read along silently with me. This know also... That in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses... So do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise your holy name. We are humbled, Lord, tonight to stand in this place and realize that you have called us, you have redeemed us, saved us, You have given us your grace and your mercy. I'm reminded of the words of uh, of King David when he stated, What is man that thou art mindful of him? And we just praise you tonight that you loved us and that you saved us. And now, Holy Spirit of God, we ask as we gather together around the word of God that you would enlighten us, that you would open our eyes, that you would open our minds and our hearts, that we would hear and receive the truth and go forth from this place and proclaim the news of Christ and the gospel of Jesus and that we would serve the Lord and that we would honor him with every fiber of our lives. Thank you for all that have come here tonight. I pray their time would not be wasted. We ask your blessing upon this time now, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The title of my message tonight is The Cost of Obedience. Obedience is an acquired trait. It is one that must be taught. It does not come to a person naturally. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13 when he stated, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Now notice the Lord spoke of two options here. He spoke of the straight 
are the narrow gate, and the broad are the expansive way. The word straight, when defined, also implies a difficult path, not only a narrow path, but a difficult path to walk. From this, we can surmise that the easy path, the broad way, is the more heavily traveled path. This will be the path that many, if if not all men, by nature will take. Yet we are commanded by Jesus to enter in at the straight gate. Now each of us, as the elect saints of God, has been commanded to obey the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 13 and verse 4, Moses wrote, Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him, and keep His commandments, and obey His voice, and ye shall serve Him, and cleave unto Him. Now, as I mentioned just a moment ago, obedience must be taught. Man's natural inclination is not for obedience, rather it is for rebellion. For in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 we read, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Obedience will come to us primarily by two means. First, by the grace of God. It is but by the grace of God that you and I can obey him today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10, Paul states, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And Paul says, I am what I am simply by God's grace, not because I have become someone great, but because I have a great God who has given me the ability to obey him. But secondly, obedience will come by much teaching and by much effort. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul writes, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And Paul says, I have to, I have to keep. What does he mean when he says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection? Well, what he means is he is stressing the fact that our flesh, by nature, is rebellious and corrupt. If you and I become careless, if we ignore the flesh, we will succumb to this rebellious nature, and we will become disobedient children unto God. In Ephesians chapter 5, and verses 15 through 17, Paul states, See then that ye walk circumspectly, Not as fools, but as wise. That word circumspectly means cautiously and attentively. He says in verse 16, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Listen, pride, arrogance, and fear. These are the attributes of a rebellious man. 
These are the things that keep us from obedience. So Paul learned to keep these things in check. He learned to keep pride out of his life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in in verses 9 and 10, Paul states, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And Paul, uh, Paul basically is saying, God has given me these infirmities to humble me and to keep me humble and to remind me that it is by His power and by His grace that I am what I am. Oh yeah, he learned to keep pride out of his life. He also learned to keep arrogance out of his life. Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And listen to this. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Paul learned to put away arrogance, and he learned to love his brothers and sisters. Now, now we're talking about a man here who used to murder Christians. So when he talks about putting away all of these things, he, he's talking about a pretty, good, a pretty good thing there. Not only did he learn to keep pride out of his life, keep arrogance out of his life, but he learned to keep fear out of his life as well. Fear will cause us to rebel. Fear will cause us to disobey. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, Paul writes, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Paul was not afraid. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, he writes, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul says, I'm ready to go ahead and lay my head on the block and let him chop it off. I'm ready. I'm not afraid. And he learned to put fear out of his life. He didn't fear the death of this life because he knew what awaited him on the other side. Jesus admonished us to put our fears in the right place. In Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, Jesus states, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. So obedience to God and his word will only come by the grace of God and by our conscious effort to walk in the spirit and deny the flesh. However, we must also recognize that there is a cost associated with obedience. And this is the focus of my message tonight. The cost of obedience. Now, everything I've said so far is just introduction. Just to bring you to this point of understanding that there is a cost associated with obedience. Now, please don't misquote me tonight. I am not saying that we can or even that we must pay 
for God's blessings or favor. I am not saying that we can work for or earn any privilege or merit with God. What I am saying is that there will be a cost associated with obedience. If you choose to live a life of obedience to God, there will be a cost associated with that life. All that will live godly shall suffer persecution. A personal cost of some sort must be paid. So with the time remaining tonight, allow me to share some thoughts with you. Now, I'm going to base these comments upon the examples found in the Bible. Some men who paid a cost in association with their obedience. So first of all tonight, number one, let me say, obedience may cost you sacrifice. Obedience may cost us sacrifice. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. Everyone turn. To Genesis chapter 22. Now, if you want to get out here on time, you've got to listen and turn quickly. Okay? Genesis chapter 22. I want to talk to you for a few, minutes, a few moments about Abraham. Look at Genesis chapter 22 and look at verse 1 with me. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt, and by that word tempt, we're not talking about with evil intent, but it was a test. God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Now, Isaac was a teenager at this time. And so that, put, that means that Abraham is now well over 100 years old. God promised him a son at the age of 90 and gave him that son. And now God's telling him to take that son and go sacrifice him on the mountain. And by the way, if you remember, God promised Abraham that from his son he would build a great nation. So Isaac was going to be the father of a great nation. Now Isaac is not married. He has no children. And God is now telling Abraham to take Isaac to that mountain and kill him. Now hear me tonight. There will be times in your Christian life when obeying God will mean a personal sacrifice. Perhaps it will be a sacrifice of your time. It may be a sacrifice of your abilities, your talent, or it may be a sacrifice of your treasure. It may even, on rare, very rare occasions, mean a sacrifice of your life. Whatever it may be, Allow me to say that anything we have to give in order to obey God is a small price to pay. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, Paul states, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
Now, for a moment here, consider all that God has given you. When we consider all that God has given us, dare we consider it to be unreasonable if obeying God costs us a sacrifice? Abraham could certainly have considered the request of God unreasonable, couldn't he? Abraham could have stood up and said, now wait a minute, Lord, this is too much. You're just asking me for too much. Yet the scripture tells us that Abraham rose up early in the morning. And a little further down, it says, and went unto the place of which God had told him. Nowhere in Genesis chapter 22, nowhere do we see that Abraham questioned the rationale of God's request. In fact, look at his response to this request. Look at Genesis chapter 22 and look at verse 7. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father? And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire in the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? You know, I think it was starting to sink into Isaac's mind what was going on. I I, I can imagine Isaac's looking around and there's no lamb. And they're going to make a sacrifice. And Abraham told the servants to stay at the bottom of the mountain. And he and Isaac grabbed the wood and the fire and went alone. And Isaac's Isaac's carrying the wood on his back and he's looking around. He's looking at his dad who has a fire and a knife. Isaac's looking at the wood. There's no lamb. Hey, hey, dad. (laughs) Yes, son. (laughs) I got the wood. You got the fire. Where's the lamb? Look 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 what Abraham says in verse number eight. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. Listen to me tonight. It may not make any sense to you. You might not be able to see how you could possibly obey God given the circumstances you're facing. But just remember the great faith of Abraham as we see it in Genesis chapter 22. Abraham knew that his obedience to God came before anything else. Even if it cost him the life of his beloved son Isaac, Abraham knew that his obedience to God came before anything else. Abraham had the promise of God that through Isaac, God would build a great nation of people. Abraham didn't know how, but he knew that God would honor that promise. He believed it to the point of paying whatever price God asked him to pay. He believed it to the point of thrusting the knife into Isaac's chest. Look at verse 9 with me now, Genesis 22. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Listen, I'm a father. I can only imagine 
the heaviness on Abraham's heart as he built that altar. I can only imagine the, the pain in his, in his life as he laid that wood there and as he bound his own son and as he looked into the eyes of Isaac and he said, I'm sorry, my son, but obedience to God comes before anything else. I can almost hear Isaac saying, it's okay, Dad. We have to obey the Lord. What must be, must be. Oh, I can only imagine. And then in verse 10 we read, And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. He believed and he trusted and he had faith in God to the point of having his own child bound on the altar, his knife, his hand in the air with the knife, ready to slay his son in obedience to God. And we all know how the story ends. An angel stopped him, and Abraham looked up, and there was a lamb caught in the thicket. And Abraham released his son Isaac. I can imagine the rejoicing. And they rushed over together and grabbed that lamb and brought it and slew it and sacrificed unto their God. Abraham obeyed God, even if it demanded an ultimate sacrifice. Nothing was too much to pay for obedience to God. Now what about us tonight? What are we willing to sacrifice in order to obey God? What's, what is it? Nothing? There are some that aren't willing to sacrifice anything to obey the Lord. Or is it everything? A- Abraham was ready to give everything. He was holding nothing back from the Lord. What about us tonight? Obedience may cost us Sacrifice, But then secondly tonight, I want us to see that obedience may cost us suffering. Not only sacrifice, but it may cost us suffering. Turn with me now in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. Now we're not going to read this whole story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because it would take us much too long. But I encourage you to go home and read Daniel chapter 3. But in Daniel chapter 3, we, we come across the story of King Nebuchadnezzar and his giant idol. He built, he built an idol that was 90 feet tall. It was an idol of image he had seen in a, in a vision. This idol was 90 feet tall, and he had passed a, a, a proclamation that when the music played, when, when the sound of the music played, everyone, no matter where they were, were to stop, face the idol, and bow down in worship. But these three Hebrew children were not going to worship an idol. They chose to obey God. Now, the penalty for this was, be, was that you were going to be cast into, the, fire, into the, the city furnace, the fiery furnace. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego chose to obey God. And when the, horn, when the, when the instruments blew and they didn't worship, The enemies of God's people rushed right to the king and told him all about it. And the king called them to him and he told them, Now you listen to me, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If when you hear the music, you bow down and worship that idol, okay. But if you don't, I'm going to throw you into that furnace. Now I want you to see the response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So let's look at verse 16. Daniel chapter 3, 
and verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful, and that word careful means afraid, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not... Be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now, I don't have time to break this verse down and teach you of the great courage and and the great truth found in that verse. But certainly in America, it is a very rare thing that we are called to physically suffer for Christ. I, I, I doubt that any of you in this church will ever be ever be called to to this type of suffering, this type of threat. We're the most affluent nation in the world. Most, if not all of us here tonight, uh, live lives of luxury compared to others in the world. And while it is unlikely that you or I will ever be called upon to face the consequences of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it does not change the truth that we are called upon to face the trials often associated with obedience. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, Peter writes, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be also glad with exceeding joy. Now, Peter didn't say concerning the fiery trial which might try you. He said concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. You are going to face challenges to your faith. And these challenges are going to test our obedience. They're going to test our willingness to obey. And that obedience will produce suffering of some sort perhaps even severe suffering. Far too many Christians are under the false belief that God will take all bad things out of our way. The prosperity preachers of our society today have led them to believe that nothing bad will happen to them when they are living right. But is that true? Of course it's not true. It was God's will that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go through the suffering associated with their obedience. Their obedience took them into the fire. Sometimes God's deliverance will come before suffering. However, it might come after the suffering. Think about Job. Consider Job. He suffered because of his obedience. And what was his response to all of this? In Job chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, we read, Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Oh, what a wife. Here he is, he's sitting on an ash heap, scraping himself with pottery to ease the pain. 
And his wife comes over there and says, oh, why don't you just curse God and die, Job? Get it over with. Look at verse 10. But he said unto her, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. And then in Job 13 and verse 15, we read, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain mine own ways before him. Notice the words, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. You know what Job is saying? Allow me to paraphrase. What Job is saying in this verse is this. Even if God kills me, I'm still going to obey him. That's what he's saying. (laughs) Doesn't matter if God kills me, I'm going to obey him. I'm going to do what he says. It is important to remember whether our deliverance comes before, during, or after the suffering. God is glorified in our suffering. And obedience may cost us suffering. But then thirdly, I want us to see that obedience will cost us some things. Thirdly, I want us to see that obedience will cost us separation. Now, obedience might cost us sacrifice. It might cost us suffering. But it will cost us separation. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to read about Elisha, the Tishbite. Elisha. 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning at verse number 19. Read with me there. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him. And he with the twelfth, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he, Elisha, left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, Kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them, and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Now, here we see the call of Elisha. Now, Elisha here must decide whether or not he would obey this call. In order for him to obey, he would have to leave all that he knew. He would have to leave his mother. He would have to leave his father. He would have to leave his farm. He would have to leave his home. He would have to leave his friends. He would have to leave everything. And let me say tonight that obedience will cost us Separation. Obedience will cost us separation from the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes in verses 17 and 18, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and my daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Remember the writings of James as inspired by the Holy Spirit in James chapter 4 and verse 4, where he writes, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. 
But also remember the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in John chapter 15 and verse 14, where he states, Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. So who are you friends with tonight? God or the world? If you're a friend of the world, you're not a friend of God. And if you're a friend of the world, you're not in obedience to God. And if you're a friend of God, you're not a friend of the world. And if you're a friend of God, it's because you're obeying his commandments. So who are you a friend with tonight? There is, By the way, there is no third option. Are you a friend of God or not? Well, do you obey him or not? Really, is that simple? Separation from the world. Next, separation from the wrong crowd. In Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 10, Solomon writes, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. In Proverbs 1 and 15, he writes, My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. Now, this is one of the greatest dangers to God's people. The wrong crowd. Notice with me the words of Paul in Galatians chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, where he writes, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Notice Paul didn't say what did hinder you. Let me make a statement here. When a Christian fails in his obedience to the Lord, 99.99% of the time it is a who and not a what. Now you can argue me, you can argue this point with me till the cows come home, but I've been doing this for 28 years. And I'm telling you, it's always a who. You better be careful unto whom you give influence in your life. They might just lead you away from obedience instead of towards it. We need to separate from the wrong crowd. I've seen people become enchanted with someone and all of a sudden their whole demeanor changes and before very long we're waving bye-bye. Who did hinder you? Hey, you used to read your Bible all the time? Who did hinder you? Oprah? Dr. Phil? You used to tithe? Who did hinder you? You used to be in church every Sunday? But now you miss frequently, who did hinder you? It's not a what, it's a who. And if you're chasing a what, you're, chasing a de- you're barking up a dead tree. You better start looking at the who's in your life and not the what's. But not only should we separate from the world in the wrong crowd, the time may come when we even have to separate from our own family. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36, Jesus states, Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Of course, that's a natural battle anyway. (laughs) And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Now, don't get me wrong here. This principle of separation is not because we are superior to others. It is rooted in the idea that corruption breeds corruption. If we are going to be wise, we must walk with wise men. 
Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20 states, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And if we are going to obey God, we will have to separate from those things that are opposed to God. Listen, I was raised Roman Catholic. When I got saved, I had to separate from my own family. My sister would call me up and say, hey, we're having a Christmas party. Why don't you come over? Sorry, I don't do those things. My family would pressure me all the time, and I had to say no. Why? Because corruption breeds corruption. I love my family, don't get me wrong. But at certain times and in certain things, I had to separate even from my own family. And obedience will cost us separation. It may cost us sacrifice. It may cost us suffering. It will cost us separation. And then lastly tonight, obedience will also cost us submission. I want you to turn your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 9. Let's all turn together to Acts chapter 9. And I'm going to read the first eight verses of Acts chapter 9. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. He was blind. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Without submission, obedience is only a facade. Oh, we may do what we're told, but it will not be satisfying to neither ourselves nor the Lord. Uh, suppose I took an onion and coated it in caramel. And, and I said, hey, you want a caramel apple? And you took that thing, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's coated in caramel, but it's not going to be very sweet inside, is it? See, that's what it's like when we obey God but without submission. Well, we may do what we're told, but we do it grudgingly. We do it with a bad attitude. See, inside we're an onion. Outside we look good. But we're not going to be very tasty. Prisoners do what they're told to do. But, hey, parents, is that the concept of obedience you desire for your children? That they just treat you like a warden? Of course not. We want submission. 
And in this passage of Scripture we read, Paul did not say, Okay, Lord, what do I have to do to keep out of trouble? That's not what he said. He humbly and submissively said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? I also want you to note that he didn't say, Okay, Lord, if I do what you want me to do, what will you do for me in exchange? Paul's attitude was one of submission. His goal here was to completely satisfy the expectation of his Lord. You know, I grow so weary of opportunistic Christians. Those that do what they do for what they can get in exchange. Be it recognition and praise or influence and authority. Whatever happened to doing what we do for the Lord's glory? In Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. We are to obey because it is right to obey. Now it is good to sacrifice for the cause of Christ, and it is blessed to suffer for the gospel's sake. And it is certain that we will have to separate unto God. But it is our submission to the sovereignty and authority to God that he most desires. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 and 23, we read, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, To obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Listen, friends, it is this willing submission to his authority that brings glory and honor to his name. In a day when men trample the name of God underfoot. When God is censored out of every school, out of every government building. When prayer is banned from all public places. In such a day, our submission to God is evidently noticed. And it will bring glory. And it will bring honor unto His name. And it will cause many to turn to righteousness. Let me give you the last blanks on your answer sheet and we'll be done. I want to leave you with this thought tonight. Be willing to stand for God, alone if need be. No cost is too great a price to pay. Husbands, fathers, In this room tonight, no cost is too great to pay. To obey our Lord, no cost is too great to pay. And 
for you to teach your children that obedience to God comes before everything else in life. There is no price too great to pay. The cost of obedience. Are you prepared to pay the price tonight to obey God? It will cost you some things. It, it, it may cost you sacrifice. It may cost you uh, suffering. It will cost you separation. And it will cost you submission because obedience demands of submission. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this time. God, you are so worthy of our love. You are so worthy of our praise and our worship and our honor. And Father, the scriptures tell us that the whole duty of man is to obey God and keep and fear, fear God and keep his commandments. And that's tonight, that's my prayer, is that we at Berean Baptist Church would be, would be people of obedience. That we would be willing to pay whatever it costs to obey you. That we would put obedience to you above everything else in our lives. And that we would do it with, with willingness, submitted, and humility, obeying you. For Lord, in the day when, when we as a, as a body of believers can, can do that, there's no limit to what you can do through us. So I pray tonight you would strengthen each of us, that you would give us the courage to obey. And that we would go forth as Paul, keep our bodies under subjection, and obey you in all things. Thank you for all that have come here tonight. I pray, Holy Spirit, that, that these words would have helped them, would have been a blessing. Not because I want to have done something, but because I pray you did a work through that. And we ask you to bless this now as we close and, and go home and go our separate ways. We ask your blessings upon all of us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.